Well, good morning and welcome. Thanks for braving the snow and the slush to make it to church this morning. Hopefully you did so safely. My name is Zeb and I'm one of the pastors here at Highlands. And we're excited to be entering into a time of, of God's word this morning. We're in Acts chapter three. That's page 968 on, in the Bible there in the seat in front of you if you need that to follow along with us this morning. Uh, Acts chapter three. We have been in a series for the last six weeks in this uh, a book of Acts, Acts of the Apostles, talking about God's mission to send and to save. And a lot has happened in the, just the first two chapters in the book of Acts. Jesus has uh, told his disciples that uh, they need to go and make disciples of all nations. And then all of a sudden he's just taken up uh, into heaven and ascends and le leaves the disciples kind of standing there with their mouth open, trying to figure out what to do next. And, um, and then they uh, replace Judas with another uh, man. So the, uh, the 12 is, is whole once again. And then on Pentecost, about 40 days after, after Jesus's death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit of God comes in a very tangible, powerful way. Uh, a mighty rushing wind and tongues of fire. You may remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that happening. And then Peter takes that opportunity to preach a very, a very powerful message uh, to Jews from all over the known world who are in Jerusalem at the time and about 3000 people come uh, to faith in Jesus and begin following him. And then uh, last week, Pastor Barry shared with us uh, kind of the aftermath of that. What happened uh, after the church was, was really kind of birthed there in that moment in a very real way, uh, the church began practicing the way of Jesus and breaking bread and fellowship and prayers and daily in the temple, it says they gathered together and we begin to see the church uh, taking shape and, and beginning to practice the things that Jesus uh, taught them to do. Now, we're going to pick up the story here in Acts chapter 3, but before we do, I want us to pause and to go back into season number one for just a second. So if you remember, uh, Luke is the author here of the book of Acts. He also wrote an, a previous narrative. It's called the Gospel of Luke. But before we do that, I want you to turn back maybe one page to Acts chapter 1 and verse number 4. Just look at Acts 1 verse 4 for a quick moment with me. It says this, while he was with them, this is talking about Jesus with his disciples, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Now, what was Jesus doing? What was he saying? What was he communicating to his disciples in this moment? Well, I think Luke gives us a clue if we go back now to Luke 24 and verse 44. Luke 24, 44 We'll see here, Jesus is now speaking and this is around the same time, okay? We're kind of filling in the gaps here with Luke's writings. And we look at verse number 44. There's two things that I wanna point out to you from these verses this morning here in, in Luke 24 that we're gonna come back to later on in the message today. Luke tells them this. He records the words of Jesus who, who says this. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I want you to notice that there in bold this morning, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I wanna connect that dot later on in the message. So just kind of put a dot in your mind or maybe on a piece of paper, we're gonna connect it later on, okay? There's another dot that I wanna show you here though, as we continue reading in verse 45, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures to understand what the Bible says, the Jewish scriptures say. In verse 46, he also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah would suffer and rise from the dead the third day. 
and repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name, in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. Can you say that with me? That would be proclaimed in his name. Okay, five people said it with me this morning. You're going to have to help me out today, okay? We're going to have to, uh, to, to follow along here with me, okay? So it was proclaimed in his name. There we go. That's more like it. So the gospel, the forgiveness of sins, repentance would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. And then Jesus says, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses. You are my witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. I'm sending you the spirit. As for you, stay in the city, stay in Jerusalem until you are empowered from on high. Now, let's go back to Acts chapter three. Those two things I'm gonna pull back in here in just a few moments as we begin to look at this story that happens in Acts chapter three, that the Psalms and the prophets and the law would be fulfilled and that the forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name. Now, today we're gonna to be looking at chapter three and the beginning of chapter four. And there's three things that I want you to remember. For those of you that take notes in, in services, there are three points today. It is the miracle, the message, and the moment. The miracle, the message, and the moment. That's what we're gonna look at today from our story here in Acts chapter three. Now let's go ahead and begin reading and I'm gonna read and pause, read and pause along the way as we go through this chapter this morning. But look at verse number one. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple for the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Here we see Peter and John, probably the, the two most highest profile followers of Jesus at the time. Peter is the one who uh, would oftentimes speak on behalf of the disciples. He was the one who addressed the crowd back in Acts chapter two. Uh, he was the one who put his foot in his mouth very oftentimes during the life and ministry of Jesus. But he was probably one of the, the, the most uh, highest profile followers of Jesus. Everybody knew who Peter was. And next to him was a man named John. John was uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He was the one who ran to the tomb to see if Jesus's body was still there the moment, uh, the morning of the resurrection. And John is also uh, somebody that is well known or becoming well known amongst the early Christian church here. So here we have these two men making their way to the temple for it says the time of prayer at three o'clock in the afternoon. Now, for those of us who work a nine to five, three o'clock seems really weird. Like that's a kind of a strange time to be going to the temple or going to church. But in this uh, com community, in this culture, in this society, pre-electricity, pre-iPhone, uh, pre-Outlook calendar, uh, before you could schedule anything and, and, and stay up late and make sure that you watch Netflix till 10 or 11 o'clock at night, uh, the day ended at 6 p.m. Okay, when the sun set, the day was over and there wasn't a lot of activity and action happening after sunset. And so after a day of being in the fields or being in the marketplace or out fishing, uh, people would usually end their day right around this time. They would make a stop at the temple before going home for the evening. And here we find that this is most likely when the church was gathering together. If we read just uh, a couple of verses before this in chapter two, it says that they gathered together in the temple every day. And I'm guessing that this is probably the time when that would happen, when most people could make it back to the temple for this time of prayer. So here we see Peter and John coming to the temple at three o'clock in the afternoon. And look what it says in verse number two, a man who was lame from birth was being carried there. Notice that he was lame 
from birth. This man had never walked a step in his life. He was placed each day at the temple gate called beautiful so that he could beg from those entering the temple. Every day, this man would be carried to the gate and, and, and placed there in a spot to beg for money maybe to provide for himself, maybe to provide for his family. Because of his condition, he was unable to to walk. He was unable to work. And this is how he would exist every single day, being placed, being carried and dropped at a spot at the entrance to the temple. And every day people would pass him by at the same time. And people began to know who he was. People began to recognize that this man was here every single day asking for money. And no doubt this layman began to recognize who in the crowd, who in Jerusalem, who would pass him by would stop and give him money. And he would know those who would look, look the other way and keep on walking. Surely they knew him and he knew them. He was there every single day. He spent every day looking for temporary solutions to a permanent problem. He was stuck in a spot, couldn't move, couldn't better his situation, couldn't fix his problem. He couldn't pull himself up by his own bootstraps. He couldn't pursue the American dream. He was stuck, literally in his spot, hoping for just enough to continue existing, just enough to get through today, just enough money so that he could have something to eat that night to just come back and do the same thing again tomorrow. How about you? Have you been there? You ever been stuck in a spot, a place that wasn't something you had hoped it would be? A place where there's no hope, there's no help, you're just existing. Maybe you are there now. You feel stuck in a spot. You've just received some horrible news. Maybe you've received a diagnosis that is not good. Maybe you just found out your spouse doesn't love you anymore and doesn't want to continue a relationship with you. Maybe you just heard that a mentor that has influenced you greatly has failed and is not the person you thought they were. Maybe this morning you're stuck in a spot where you have, you're facing an early retirement or a layoff. There's nothing you can do. You're stuck. Just hoping that you can make it another day. Maybe you came here this morning thinking, if I just can get enough in church, I can make it another week. That's where this man found himself, stuck in a spot without hope and without help. But the story doesn't end there. As we continue reading in verse number three, when he saw Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked for money. Now, I'm guessing that Peter and John were not regulars yet to the temple because this man should have known better than to ask two preachers for money. You know what I'm saying? Here he is asking people for money and these two, these two pastors, these two preachers come along and he asks them for money. And surely, look at what it says in verse number four. Peter, along with John, looks straight at him and says, look at us. I'm, I'm assuming he's like, look at us, dude. You know what I mean? He says, look at us. And so he turned to them expecting to get something from them. But Peter said in verse number six, I don't have silver or gold. He's like, look, man, 
I don't, got an, I, I don't have two nickels to rub together. You know what I mean? I, I don't have any money. But what I do have, I give you. What I do have, I give you. What did Peter and John have? What did they have? They had the mighty, powerful name of Jesus. They had the authority that Jesus had given them through his name. They knew that their names didn't matter. They were leaders in the church. They were probably the most well-known in the Christian church at the time. And yet they knew and understood that the name Peter, the name John doesn't matter in comparison to the name of Jesus. It's his name. But what I do have, I give you. It's his name. Notice what it says in verse number six. Peter said, I don't have silver or gold, but what I do have, I give you. In the, what is it? Okay. About a dozen of you are with me right now, okay? Look what it says there in verse number six. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Get up. In the name of Jesus, there is power, there is healing, there is might in the name of Jesus. To break every chain, to break every cycle, they said there is power in the name of Jesus for you to move from your spot. And then they reached out a hand. It says in verse number seven, then taking him by the right hand, he raised him up and at once his feet and ankles became strong. So he jumped up and started to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking, leaping and praising God. I mean, can you just imagine the sight this morning? Can you just imagine being there with this man who is there? He had been there every day. He was lame from his birth. He hadn't taken a step in his entire life. He gets up for the very first time. Man, he didn't skip leg day. He just started jumping around, walking and leaping and praising God. I mean, can you imagine this morning taking your very first steps in your entire life? He was excited. Some of you need to get excited this morning about what Jesus can do, okay? He was excited about the healing that had happened. He was excited about what Jesus had just done for him. And when you experience the power of God's hand in your life, I, I can't help but get excited. I think we need to, to get excited again about what Jesus can do for us. When we see someone else who is experiencing the incredible power of Jesus in their life, I think back to a couple of weeks ago when we baptized a couple of people, man, I get excited about that. I get excited about seeing someone taking steps to follow Jesus in their faith. Don't rain on their praise parade. Get excited with them about what God is doing in their life. When revival is breaking out on a college campus, don't criticize that they're not doing it your way. Get excited that Revival is happening and people are coming into greater relationship with God. When, when, when someone is bringing attention to the name of Jesus, don't be skeptical about their motives. Right. Rejoice that Jesus's name is being glorified. When you see someone high step their way into the kingdom, let's just praise the name of God that someone has walked into life. They've gone from death to life. Can we get excited about it this morning? What did he receive? What did this lame man receive from Jesus? First, he received new legs. He received new legs. Legs that couldn't walk could now run. Legs that couldn't walk could now jump and leap. Legs that were dead were now alive. Legs that couldn't do anything before were now running around the temple. He received new legs. He was capable of doing what he had never done before. 
not only did he receive new legs, but he received new life. Can you imagine being placed at the temple gate every single day? That's where, you, that's where your life existed. Literally in the same spot, same time, every day, never being beyond that. And now this man had new life. He had new purpose. He had new meaning. He could get up and go and do and be wherever he wanted because Jesus had given him a life that was no longer dependent on other people. And now he could do what he had never been able to do before. He had new legs and he had a new life and he had a new legacy. No longer was he the lame man at the gate, beautiful, begging for money every single day. Now he was the man that Jesus had miraculously raised to walk in new life. He had a new legacy, a life that was now miraculously healed through the name of Jesus. As you can imagine, as this is happening, just imagine, if you will, in the temple, uh, the crowd that begins to gather. What is going on over here? There's this noise. There's this man jumping around like, oh, wait a second. I know that guy. He's the dude who is just laying there every day. What is going on? And so let's continue reading. In verse number nine, all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they recognized that he was the one who used to sit and beg. They recognized that he was the one stuck in that spot. And now he's up walking around. Uh, he was the one who used to sit and beg at the beautiful gate of the temple. And so they were filled with awe and astonishment at what had happened to him. Verse number 11, while he was holding on to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished ran toward them in what is called Solomon's colonnade. This is a, a part of the temple where they're gathered now, where, where a crowd begins to, to come around. They, they, they hear the excitement and they, they want to know what's happening. They want to know what's going on. And so Peter, being the preacher that he is, sees the crowd. He says, all right, this is my opportunity. We're going to preach a message right now to these people. So first this morning, we saw the miracle. Secondly, I want us to see this morning the message the message of Peter. Peter sees this opportunity to proclaim the good news of what has just happened to this man, to the crowd that begins to gather. So when Peter saw this in verse number 12, he addresses the people. He says this, fellow Israelites, why are you amazed at this? Why do you stare at us as though we had made him walk by our own power or godliness? In this second recorded message that we have that Peter is, is giving now, Peter is, is going to point out some things that I want all of us to see this morning. Notice what he says in verse 13. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of our ancestors. Now, you... I hope you understand this morning, this is a Jewish audience that he's speaking to. This is a group of people inside the temple where they're worshiping this God that he's talking about, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our ancestors. He says this, this God has glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you handed over and denied before Pilate. Though he had decided to release him, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer released to you. He said, Jesus was exalted by God, the God that you worship. Jesus was his servant. Jesus was his Messiah. That's the point that Peter is trying to make here is that you rejected 
the one that God sent. You rejected the one that God sent to save you. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. He is the source of life. He is the prophesied Messiah. Notice what he says here, that you denied him, that you killed him, that you rejected him. This is, uh, again, he, he mentions this in chapter two, the first time he preaches. He says, you were the ones who put him to death. We didn't do that. It was, it was Pilate. It was, it was the Romans. He says, no, you shouted, crucify him. You chose Barabbas over Jesus. You and your sin is what put him on that cross. Notice what it says in verse 16. I'm sorry, verse 15. You killed the source of life whom God raised from the dead. We are witnesses of this. You killed the source of life, but God has raised him from the dead. God did what only God could do. And Peter and John and the other disciples were all witnesses to the fact that Jesus, who was alive and was ministering and teaching and, and, and showing them the way to live, had been killed and buried and resurrected and then appeared to the disciples and says, I am alive forevermore. He says, we are witnesses of this. We watched it happen. And it is only by Jesus. Look what he says in verse 16. By faith in his, in his name. By faith in his name, his name has made this man strong whom you see and no, it is only faith in the authority and power of Jesus given to him by God, the father given to him by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that this man can now be raised to walk. There is power in the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name. What a powerful name it is. The name that can break every chain and break every cycle. Why, why? Why is the name of Jesus so special to us as Christians? Why do we make such a big deal about who Jesus is? It's because he has the power and the authority that has been given him from God. He is God with us. He is Emmanuel. He is God in the flesh. He is the one we worship. He is the one we follow. He is who God promised would come. His name is connected to eternal authority. And Peter is attempting to connect the dots from the Jewish scripture, from the Jewish religion, from the Jewish teachings. He's trying to connect that to who Jesus is so they can see that he is the one that God promised would come. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one, the chosen and promised deliverer who they chose to crucify. You see, Jesus wasn't just another dime a dozen rabbi. He wasn't a political leader to overthrow the Roman government. He wasn't the, 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 the coming, the second coming of a, of a prophet like Elijah. He was God. The source of all life come in the flesh to save us. That's the point that Peter was trying to make here. And we see there's something special about the name, the authority that Jesus has, that he carries. And I want us to see this here. As I was studying this out, 
not just here in chapter three, but also across the first 10 chapters. And I just stopped after chapter 10, okay? There's probably more, but I stopped at chapter 10. The name of Jesus, there's power and authority that comes from his name. We see it in chapter two. We see it here in chapter three. We see it again in chapter four and in chapter five and in chapter nine and in chapter 10. All throughout the book of Acts, we see there's something happening here with the name of Jesus. I wanna encourage you, as you're reading along in the book of Acts, maybe you've got that scripture journal that we gave you. Maybe you've just got your Bible. What I've done is I've highlighted where it says name every single time in the first 10 chapters, because I think there's something there that Luke is trying to tell us. There is power and authority in the name of Jesus. Even in the next chapter, in verse, uh, chapter four and verse seven, the people who are now angry about what Peter is talking about after they had, um, uh, after they had kind of arrested them and they're standing before them, they asked them this question, by what power or in what name have you done this? Who has given you the authority to raise this man up and to preach this message? Who is giving you this authority? Well, look what Peter says. In verse number seven, I'm trying not to preach next week's message right now, okay? But I, but I have to, okay? In uh, verse number eight, Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, says to them, uh, and, and, and jump down to verse number 10, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Jesus is the one who's given us the authority to do this. He is the one who has all power and all authority, authority to heal this man. We see here in Peter's message that he is pointing out that Jesus is the one. He is the only one. Peter says, it's not me. It's not John. It's not Luke. It's not any of these other guys. It is only through Jesus and what he has, the power and authority that he has to heal this man. And not just that, but to give us all life. Look at the rest of his message here back in chapter three in verse 17. And now brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your leaders also did. In this way, God fulfilled what he had predicted through all the prophets that his Messiah would suffer. The Messiah would suffer. This is a prophecy that we have and we can look back at in Isaiah 53 where the prophet Isaiah foretells that the, the Messiah who would come is gonna be a suffering servant. He would endure pain and suffering. He would take upon uh, uh, him our sins and our suffering. And then jump down to verse number 21. Heaven must receive him until the time of the restoration of all things, which God spoke about through his holy prophets from the beginning. I believe that he's referencing here Isaiah chapter 11, where Isaiah promises that there will be a branch. There will be uh, some that comes from the root of Jesse out of David's line who will come and restore everything. He will bring justice and righteousness and peace to all of creation, the restoration of all things. Jesus has ascended into heaven until that time comes. And here he is pointing again to the prophets. And then notice what he does here in verse number 22. He quotes from the law of Moses. 
in verse 22. Now, what I want us to do is I want us to jump all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. It'll be on the screen for us to see. This is the quote that he's pulling from, is from Deuteronomy 18, where Moses is writing the words of God to the people. And he writes this, I will raise up for them a prophet like you. God's telling Moses, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell them everything I command him. This is a prophecy about Jesus, the Messiah who is to come. Look at verse number 19. I thought this was awesome. I will hold accountable whoever does not listen to my words that he speaks in my name. There it is. The name of God, the name of Jesus. He will speak my words to you. I will raise him up. Peter is quoting here from the law of Moses that Jesus will come, the Messiah will come. And then uh, jump down with me to verse 24 in Acts chapter three. It says this, in addition, all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those after him have also foretold these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your ancestors saying to Abraham. Now he's gonna quote from the book of Genesis, the Abrahamic covenant in Genesis chapter 12. I, trust me, I'm going somewhere with this. If you can hang on for just a second, okay? So Genesis chapter 12, uh, God promises Abraham that he will bless him. Notice what, uh, what um, uh, Peter says here. He quotes from, from Genesis chapter 12. And all the families of the earth will be blessed through your offspring. What is the point that Peter is making here? Is that Jesus is the one that all the scriptures are talking about. Abraham's offspring, who is that? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter one, Matthew outlines for us that Jesus came from the line of Abraham. He is the offspring. He is the child of Abraham that God promised thousands of years before that all the nations of the earth would be blessed because of Abraham's seed. Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise. The good news that is now being proclaimed by Peter and all the apostles to people from all over the known world. They're now hearing the good news that God wants to enter into covenant relationship with them. That all the nations of the earth would be blessed. What is Peter doing here? Well, in both of his first recorded messages, Peter is just pointing out what he learned from Jesus. If you remember that dot that I wanted you to make back in Luke 24, Jesus, he explained to the disciples everything about himself from the law and the prophets and the Psalms. So what is Peter doing? He's just doing the same thing. He's saying, look, Jesus is in all of the Jewish scriptures. We have the law. He just quoted from Genesis and Deuteronomy. He says he's in the prophets. Last week, we looked at uh, the prophecy or two weeks ago of Joel, who's a part of the 12 and Isaiah, who's there as a part of the prophets. And then we also, he also quotes from Psalms in chapter two. He's saying, look, Jesus is the scriptures. He is the word. Everything that we've learned, everything we've been taught, everything we've memorized from a very early age, everything that we practice, everything that we do is all about Jesus, the Messiah. Every single part of the Jewish scriptures, there's three sections here. Every single section points to who Jesus is. It's pointed to the source of life, the Messiah, the name above all names, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with 
us. Now, I skipped over this and I want to go back to it because I want you to see. In verse number 19, Peter gives an invitation. In the middle of his message, look at what it says in verse number 19. Therefore, repent and turn back so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus who has been appointed for you as the Messiah. He says, Therefore, I love that word, therefore, because of all of this evidence, because of everything that I've just shared with you, because of everything that I've just pointed out to you from the scriptures, therefore, repent and believe in who Jesus is. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the source of life. He is the one who has been promised to come and deliver us, to give us salvation, repentance for forgiveness of sins. Remember what it says in Luke 24, 47, Jesus said that they would uh, preach repentance for forgiveness of sins proclaimed in his name. Jesus taught them what to do. And Peter is just doing what Jesus taught him to do. He's just following the game plan that Jesus gave him. The name of Jesus has power, not just to heal a lame man and give him new legs. Jesus has the power to give us new life and a new legacy. The name of Jesus has power to forgive your sins. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't think for a moment that Jesus does not have the same power and same authority that he did thousands of years ago with this lame man in Jerusalem. He has the same power today to give you new life, to give you meaning, to give you purpose, to give you a lasting eternal legacy. You see, you and I are the lame man. You and I are stuck in a spot, stuck in our sin, without a way of getting out, without hope, without help. We on our own are helpless. We cannot save ourselves, but through faith in Jesus and his authority and his power, we too can walk in newness of life. We can move from death. Hey, can I get an amen this morning? We can move from death to life, just like the lame man this morning. We are the lame man. Jesus has the power to heal. There is salvation in no other name under heaven given to people by which we must be saved. It's through the name of Jesus, the miracle the message, and then finally this morning, the moment, the moment. In chapter four and verse one, and look what it says. While they were speaking to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, police, the Sadducees confronted them because they were annoyed that they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. So they seized them and took them into custody until the next day, since it was already evening. Some people weren't very happy about this, were they? In verse number four, look at this. But many of those who heard the message believed. And the number of the men came to about 5,000, just casually, about 5,000 people. I mean, just all of a sudden, just like that. And, and we don't even know what the total number was. It just says men. 5,000 men came to believe in Jesus. And that very moment, you see, whenever the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached, there is a moment that happens, a moment of decision. Some people were angry and annoyed. Some people responded with malice and malevolence towards the disciples. Hey, stop preaching Jesus. They weren't happy. You know why? 
because it was going to take away from their temple worship. It was going to take away from the money that they made. It was going to take away from their job and their religion and their culture. Hey, stop preaching Jesus. But some people decided to believe. They decided, you know what? I have faith to believe that Jesus can do the same thing for me as he did for that lame man that I watched lay by the gate to the temple every single day. He changed his life. Maybe he can change mine. Over 5,000 people respond in faith to Jesus. And I have to believe that this number continues to grow. Last time Peter preached to 3,000 people. Now it's 5,000 people. And I have to believe it's because the church, the Christians, the people who are beginning to follow Jesus and practice uh, his way of living are starting to have a witness. They're starting to have a testimony. They're starting to say, hey, look at us. Look at what God has done for us. It's not about us, it's about him. But look what he's doing through us our community, our fellowship. It's uncommon. Look at what Jesus is doing through us. What do you believe the power of Jesus's name can do for you? Do you believe that it holds power for your life today as well? You see, I want you to understand this though. His name is not some magical incantation that we recite whenever we want something. It's not a magic genie that we rub out of a lamp to try to get three wishes. That's not what Jesus's name is. But the name of Jesus does hold great power and authority, not, uh, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. He is the creator God. Jesus is the source of life. Jesus is the holy and righteous one. He is the anointed one. He is the Messiah. He is the savior of the world. And in his name, there is power. In his name, there is life. In his name, there is freedom. And I want you to know this today, that if you don't yet have a relationship with Jesus, he wants to start one with you today. Jesus wants to come into relationship with you. He wants you to follow him. He wants you to accept his gift of eternal life and live with him and have new life and have a new legacy. Jesus wants to enter into relationship with you. If you've never done that, today could be the day for you. And also, Christian, know this, that sometimes we get stuck spiritually in our lives. Even as Christians, we get stuck. I feel like, man, I'm just kind of existing. Don't really know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Guess what? Jesus has the same power to get you out of that spot today too. He can help you walk in a newness of life as well. The gospel still works for you today too. It's not just for the moment of conversion, but it's for every day of our life to go back to and remind ourselves of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. He has set us free. He has broken every chain. He has broken every cycle and he wants you to walk in relationship with him. I get excited about it. I don't know about you. I get excited about Jesus and the power that he has over all life and being able to give us new legs and new life and new legacy. The gospel is a great reminder for us. And today we get to be reminded as we close, we get to be reminded of what Jesus has done for us in the gospel by taking communion together as a church. Communion is a beautiful picture and a beautiful reminder of what Jesus has done for us. He died, he was buried, and he resurrected. But that body that was broken, that blood that was spilled was for us so that we could come into relationship with him. It's a physical way for us to remember the power that is in the name of Jesus. In just a moment, I'm going to read from 1 Corinthians and then I'm gonna pray.
As soon as I'm done praying, the ushers are going to come and they're going to begin passing the elements out this morning. We're going to do it a little bit differently today in that um, as the song begins to play, we want to encourage you to take a moment and reflect privately and individually where you are this morning. As you uh, wait to receive the elements or as you have them, uh, feel free to take them whenever you're ready on your own. And we're going to sing a song together this morning to remind us of the power in Jesus's name. Uh, There'll be two cups in the trays. The first cup holds the juice and the second cup holds the bread. They'll be double stacked. So make sure you grab both of them this morning so that you have both of the elements to take when you are ready. But I want us to read from 1 Corinthians 11 what Paul commanded the church in Corinth to do. Look what he says in, in Romans, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper and said, "This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes." Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me as we pray this morning? God, we thank you. We thank you for sending your son to die in our place. We thank you, God, for the body that was broken for us. We thank you for the blood that was spilled to cover and pay for all of our sins. We thank you that now there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because you have paid for all of our sins. God, we thank you for this visible, physical reminder of your death. Lord, help us to take it in remembrance of you this morning. Amen.